Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there's huge curiosity surrounding these topics, and we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) From uniforms to unicorns. Hey, Lauren here. Just wanted to remind you that some of the things that Sharon and I and our guests talk about on this podcast can have adverse effects or bring on triggers for experiences that you have had in the past. So we just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning before you listen to any of the podcast episodes and say, take care of yourself. And thank you again for being here and listening. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. How's life? Busy. Like, why yeah. do we have to say this every time we get on here? It's it's full of lots yes. of things that I love. Yes. Um, that's what I'm gonna say. How about you? <laughs> Same, full of lots of shit that I love too, but yeah. some of it I don't, but that's okay. Yeah, that's We're okay. Busy. We're gonna pay attention to the things we don't love and get rid of them, right? If we can. To the best of our ability, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's introduce our guest. Uh, this is another introduction from our buddy, John. He never ceases to stop sending us incredible people to be on our podcast. I feel like we should pay him to be our <laughs> recruiter or something like that. He's so awesome. So thanks again, John. Today we have Brandy Benson here. We are so excited to have you, Brandy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here to talk to you all and share my story and, you know, learn a little bit more about you both. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you have a pretty incredible story. We actually didn't know a ton about you. And then we kind of did a little bit of research and we we know that your story or your journey really starts with your um, signing up to be in the army. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about that. Yeah. So years ago, many, many years ago, I originally joined the military for a couple of different reasons, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about it. So in the year 2000, uh, we had my family and I had just moved to Hawaii. So we left California to Hawaii, beautiful tropical dream, everything you think it's going to be, it was that for like a little bit. And then like a year into it, my stepdad decides he no longer wants to be married to my mother anymore. And he wants a divorce. But we went on the premise of thinking she's going to have two incomes in this very, very expensive place called Hawaii. So life drastically changed. He left us, he left my mother with all of the bills, three dogs, two kids, like everything. The car was going to get repossessed. Lights were getting turned off. Life was getting so grim. Like I can't explain it. We were literally like becoming poor and poorer every single day. It was just really hard. So I ended up telling a friend of mine about what was going on and how 
you know, life was just really different. You know, my stepdad's not there anymore. My mom's having a hard time financially with everything. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even have lunch money anymore. Like we're starving. And she ends up telling. Yeah. At, how this old point. at this time, um, I was 16, okay. 16, 17 ish um, in high school. So I, I spoke to her, told her about what was going on, and she ends up telling her dad, who was somebody somebody in the um in the Marines. And like a couple of weeks later, we have these like strangers come knocking on our door and they're dressed up in their, you know, their uniform and they have this these boxes. And I'm like, what the hell is this? When we open them up and they drop them off, there are hundreds and hundreds of boxes of MREs. And so I'm like, oh, wow. And those who you don't know what MREs are, those are meals ready to eat. It's basically like camp food. So when people go get deployed, they have these like little packages of food that they survive on while they're deployed. So her dad drops off all of these MREs. Wow. And I was like, there are amazing organizations out there, such as the military, that would be there for you. They won't let your family starve. There's benefits. They have, you know, you have an income you have a life. And so after we're, you know, we're all sitting around, we're, we're eating, the dogs are happy. They're eating like, we're mm-hmm. so excited. I'm like, you know what? And me and my sister were just like playing with the idea that one day we're going to join the military and we're going to give back because they literally put food on the tables and saved our lives. And so wow. that was like my introduction to the military. And I was like, you know what? When I become of age and I'm older and, you know, if however life turns and whatever happens, like the military is going to be something that I want to give back to. So in 2007, I ended up joining, no, 2008, I'm sorry, 2008, I ended up joining the army. And that was my introduction of getting into the military and, and serving my country. That is an incredible, do yeah. you, okay. Do you know Tony Robbins? Uh, yeah. The, 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 the celebrity yeah yeah Yeah, of course his story is like so similar to yours and that his like lots of what he does is give back but the whole reason he wanted to give back to people was because they were starving and someone showed up at their house with like a christmas basket and they actually got to have a christmas dinner that year and he's like i just want to be able to do this to give i don't know how i'm going to do it but this this is something that i know needs to be part of my life right so you're you're sorry it's very like parallel in that wow it's like oh they did something nice for me now i need now my obligation or my desire is to give back in some way because exactly that's how the world turns right like Mm -hmm. oh so cool yes. I love that what an uh, incredible it wasn't just like oh I thought cool? it'd be cool I wanted my school paid for you know whatever <laughs> yeah. we, we hear no. all kinds of stories right yeah so, no they so why did you decide the lives. army why did you decide the army like the army <clears throat> well it was originally it wasn't the army it was the air force mm-hmm. <laughs> all right that, that might be some people's story as well but it originally was the air force so I went there and before I had gone and, and like actually signed up, I talked to my mom about it. And I was like, I think I'm going to be joining the military. And my sister had already joined as well. So my sister is still in the army, still there. And oh, I was wow. telling her, I was like, I think, um, I think I'm going to join the military too. You know, my sister's, she's out there doing things. She's starting her life, her career, you know, like I'm the older sister. Like, why am I not getting this on track? Like what's going on? So she kind of convinced me to like, do it now, like drop out of college, swap your you know college books for m16 it's time to do it i'm like you know what i'm going to so i was explaining to my mom 
why I was looking, I was like, I want to make sure that if anything ever happens to our family again, like there is a support system. You guys can always come to where I'm at. Like we won't have to starve. There'll be food. There'll be never again. Well, we have to choose between going to the pharmacy or paying a bill. Like that won't ever have to be a thing anymore. So that's why I'm joining. And she was not very happy about it mm -hmm. at all. She was like, you guys are both going to get deployed at the same time. And I kept thinking, why the hell would she think that? You know, why would the why would the military, this amazing organization, this company, like deploy two siblings at the same time? But she was right. <laughs> so they did. <laughs> <laughs> they, did. They, they absolutely did. And I remember doing that and and you know, being deployed and all that. We'll get into that. But yeah, my my original choice was the Air Force. Um, I wanted to go. I thought that'd be an easier branch to be in. You know, it didn't work out because there was a very, very long wait. So as soon as I heard my no, I'm walking out of the, you know, the little office or area and the recruiter guy for the army pops his head out and he's like, hey, why don't you come over here? And you thought about joining the army? And I'm like, like, how soon can I go? He's like, tomorrow. I'm like, let's go. Let's wow. do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yep, that's how it all happened. And were you still in Hawaii then, or did you move by then? Yeah, I so I had I had left by then. So I left in like 2006 from who leaves Hawaii? Hawaii first of all. You know, yeah, oh, it was. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but, you, but like so you said, much expensive a lot. Expensive. Yeah, it was just so much trauma that had happened there that was like mm -hmm. associated with it. I was just like, I have to start a new leave like mm -hmm. I got to get out this place but so I left in 2006 and then I joined the army in 2008 from Illinois so my sister I had I was living with her at the time she was stationed at Great Lakes um she was married to a guy who was in the navy and uh I joined from Illinois Gurney Illinois oh never heard of it yeah, me too. I know where it's, Illinois is, but I don't know yeah, where it's like like an, it's right by um uh Wisconsin. It's like right on the border by oh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so that happens in 2008. When do you get deployed? Yeah, I get deployed quickly, quickly. So I literally had just swapped out, like I said, my my college books for M16. So I go to basic training for a couple months. I go to AIT for a few months. And then I finally get to my main duty station um, in 2008, which was at Fort Carson in Colorado. And I'm there for one month in nine days. Literally, that's how long I was there. And I get attached to a unit that's getting deployed. And we're not just going to like any deployment area. We're going to a very bad place. It's considered like a red zone. <clears throat> and like a red zone is where there's like, you know, a lot of action. There's lots of bombs and mortars and attacks and, you know, people trying to get on the base and all that crazy stuff you see on TV. Like that's where I'm going. And I remember thinking, what the hell? <laughs> I just kept thinking to myself, like I did this to myself. My mom was right. I should have just waited to join the military. Like what? You know, what was I thinking? And I also kept thinking, like, I was so ill-prepared to do all this. Like, I'm a college kid. I'm 24 years old now. You know, just just left school, just learned how to clear a room, how to shoot an M16, how to manhandle a 50 cal, like, how to do all these really important things. And now I'm, like, amongst all the killers. Like, mm -hmm. how is this even possible? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, this is crazy. 
And uh, it didn't matter how crazy or outrageous it sounded like that's what the mission was. And I was going, but I, um, I left in uh, 2008, got there for a very brief time. I was there for about f- almost five months. And then I ended up getting sick with cancer. Mm. Oh, wow. wow. That was yeah. 2008. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is, in this October. was, have you, do you, have you uh, listened? If you ever go back and listen to the podcast, listen to Carl McPhee because he's Canadian military and he, mm-hmm. um, gets deployed and uh suffers with epilepsy it's it's very it's a similar story to the one that you're sharing right now but I as you're talking about like I had no fucking clue what I was getting into Sharon and I can both relate to that like yeah we're like oh we're going to a women's prison we're gonna like paint something I don't know I didn't think I was gonna paint fingernails but I didn't fucking think I was walking we didn't know what it was yeah (laughs) we didn't know what it was right and we didn't we didn't even know it was a jail till we like we arrived at the training in like a yeah a small well Saskatoon I don't know how small it is but you probably never heard of it but when we reached there and the training they gave us the books and they were like welcome to Corrections Canada I don't know Lauren you too right I was like "Uh uh-uh I'm in the wrong room (laughs) like I'm here to empower women you know to and and help them yeah help them re (laughs) reintegrate back into society and I we I literally thought I was being a case worker and then they're like taught and I'm like no "Mm, I don't I I think I'm in the wrong I know we're like is my name up there they're like your name is here (laughs) and then I called my boyfriend and I'm like hey I think I just made a sign up to be a corrections officer he's like there's no way they hired you to be a prison guard I'm like right I'm in the wrong train like nobody thought that this was a an an ill equipped right mentally physically yeah remote, yeah right like all of those things very yeah to to take to on handle. um what what we were about to take on right and I mean you've <laughs> got to have some sort of like okayness with uncertainty mm-hmm. and you right so I think it's a certain person that obviously jumps into something like this without not having all the information. Cause I'm, t- that's totally me. I'm just like, great. This sounds amazing. And then I jump in. I'm like, Oh <laughs> yeah. shit. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I got, yes. And, yes. and then I won't back down. Yes. I'm like, no, I'm in. I have oh. to see it through. <laughs> I got to see this through. Right. And then so done. Yeah. But so, okay, so oh. you end up getting sick five months in, in, in a wow. foreign country, right. You're in a foreign <laughs> country. Mm-hmm. And tell I'm us in about Iraq. In Iraq. In Iraq. Okay. okay. So what, tell us about that. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we get to a place called Fob Echo. Uh, it's a, I believe it was like 190 something miles south of Baghdad. It's literally like in the middle of nowhere. It's a small little base. There's, there's always bombs and mortars and things going off. It was just horrible. And to make it even worse, so we had this like, like alarm system, I guess you can call it, that will let you know when there was like incoming coming and you know the missile's going to be coming in five seconds like you have five seconds or what 10 seconds whatever it was to go hide in a bunker but that alarm system or whatever that was called it didn't work so it's like it's just extra stressful you know you just never know what's going to happen so that didn't work so that was just you know really hard um i remember one time you know a mortar had come over and it you know shook the entire place the defect blew up there was people got hit in their neck there was shrapnel everywhere it was horrific so oh, scary God. and we had to run to the bunkers and we had to get safety it was just just 
horrible, you know, and I, every time that something bad would happen, I would just, I kept seeing my mom and, you know, her just shaking her head telling, you know, don't do it. Like, this is not smart. They're going to make you deploy. And I just kept thinking to myself, I did this to my fucking self. Mm-hmm. Like I signed those papers. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. You know, this is, this is, this is what's going to be ha- like, I should have known better. I should have waited. I should have done something else. I should have finished college. Like, so many things that I was thinking I should have done and why didn't I do it? But, you know, whatever happened, it was just horrible. You know, I, it was just a very scary experience. Some people enjoyed being deployed and they loved the rush of all of that. I was not one of those people because it yeah. was very scary. You know, I mean, I wanted to give back to my country, but I don't think I was ready to like be a, like a, a warrior slash killer already. You know, I wasn't, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I wasn't 24. in that mind frame just yeah. yet. I was, that, that wasn't happening, but so I finally, you know, we get there, we're deployed. There's lots of action happening. And then around, we'll say like the December timeframe, I was experiencing extreme fatigue, no matter how much rest I got, I was so exhausted And I thought it was because of all of the things that were happening, like outside of me, I'm in war, I'm 24 years old, I'm, it's Christmas time, I'm missing my family, you know, this is my first time being away from my family in another country, worlds away. So I thought all of that was why I was feeling so like, just tired and groggy and moody and stuff. But little did I know, it was like one of the symptoms of this cancer that would like later present itself in a very unexpected way. So December comes, I'm experiencing all this tiredness and stuff. And again, no matter no matter how much rest I get, I'm just so tired. January comes around. I've been working out like crazy. And one day I decide to stretch. Thank God. Thank God I wanted to stretch because I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> so I'm like stretching and I pull my left leg up to my chest and I'm laying on the bed and I have this like lump sticking out of my leg. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, what is this? Like, I grew up as an athlete. I've played so many sports. I've pulled every muscle you can think of. I've broken bones. I've done it all. And I've never had like a lump stinking out of my leg. And so I was like, I don't know what this is. So I'm like moving it and trying to, you know, push it around. It doesn't hurt. It won't go anywhere. So I thought, oh, maybe I pulled a muscle off my leg. I don't know. Who knows? So I wait a week, right? It doesn't go away. I show a couple of my friends. And everybody was so concerned. And they're like, and I'm laughing, like showing them, like, look at this big ass thing on my leg. Like, look at this thing. And they're like, why aren't you like, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't you go to the doctors? And I'm like, okay, go to the doctors. I get it checked out. And the, her, her name is Captain May. And she looked so concerned. And I was like, I don't see what the problem is you know like I'm not bleeding there's nothing wrong with me I you know I was totally cancer illiterate I thought somebody who had cancer meant they were bald because that's what I saw all the time Mm -hmm. right and I didn't I've never until then had I seen anybody with a tumor I didn't even know what a tumor was right I had no clue what this was I was just like I had this like lump in my leg like my you know my muscle maybe it got stuck together like I don't know I'm making up these ridiculous things but Captain May thought something was wrong. So she immediately creates orders for me to go to Baghdad. So I go to Baghdad to get a CT scan. And then the doctor comes over to me. He's like, okay, there's like blood flowing in and out of it. You look fine. 
but we want to give you the choice. Maybe you could go back to your fob or you can go to Germany and go get an MRI. And I was like, the further I get away from war, the better it is and more time I'll get to sleep. So everything was just always predicated on getting more rest. Like how far can get can I get away from the bob because I'll get more sleep. <clears throat> so I finally get to get to Launchstuhl, Germany. And when I'm there, they um, you know, they do the MRI, the MRI. And I remember when he, you know, he gets that done and he just says to me that he hopes and he prays that it's not Ewing sarcoma. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, what? You know, what do you mean? Like, what is Ewing sarcoma? And then he's like, I hope it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I was like, a tumor? Like, what is a tumor? What, what, what is this man saying? You know, and like, you know, we had like little flip phones and I don't know if I had like a recorder or anything, but I remember just like writing down then these words that the he notes, said. Yeah. Yeah, the notes like I don't know what this stuff uh-huh. is, so I I write it down. And... I'm not in English, probably, <laughs> or yeah. not great English, right? <laughs> and are are you by yourself? Like this whole time, you're just alone by yourself. The whole time, I'm by myself. Yes, oh, so I'm no. flying from country to country, trying to figure out what's wrong with my leg, what is the stuff. But I'm in constant communication with my mom the entire time. So I remember talking to my mom and being like, "Yeah, like I'm in Germany," and she's like aren't you supposed to be in Iraq? <laughs> Why? Like, what, what's going on? I'm like, huh. I was like, I have this lump in my leg. I don't know what it is. You know, they don't know what it is. And I'm getting MRI. I'm getting these tests ran on it. And she's like, hold on, hold on. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And because I'm how you guys were saying, like, you just go with the flow. You ask questions later. That's what I was doing. You know, I didn't know what to ask. I had no clue. So she's like, listen, write this down. And so she's giving me like questions to ask and things, you know, to prompt the doctor with, cause I had no clue. And so I'm like writing these questions down and then I finally get to the doctor and I'm talking to him and, you know, all that and, you know, answering the questions that she needs. And then he like sits me down and he's like, well, I want to let you know that it's, you know, we, we took the biopsy, we got the MRI. He's like, it's cancer, but it's not the bad one. It's, it's not a nerve, it's not Ewing sarcoma, it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I remember thinking, what did he just say? <laughs> cancer, like, how, how did I get cancer? I didn't even know you could get cancer in your leg. I mean, I, all I know was brain cancer, lung cancer, stomach cancer, breast cancer. I mean, who gets cancer in their leg? Is that even a thing? Like, I was mm-hmm. like, this mm-hmm. guy is wrong for okay. sure. Like, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He might be a doctor, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, this is absolutely absurd. Like, I nobody gets cancer there, you know? I'm thinking, like, no way. So go back online, and I'm kind of just, like, checking what my, you know, what's going to be happening with this nerve-shaped tumor. And according to what he was saying, it was a better one, right? Ewing sarcoma. <clears throat> It goes to your spinal cord, it goes to your brainstem, and it spreads to your lungs. And so I was like, holy shit, like, whew, like I really beat the bullet on that one, you know, like, oh, goodness. But so I get the information from the doctor. And of course, I'm not happy. I'm very sad. I'm depressed. I don't even know how I made it from the hospital, you know, the doctor's room all the way to back to the area with the phones. And I call my mom and I remember talking to her and telling her that, it was cancer and it was the most terrible, this such a hard call to say, because I just remember her screaming 
so loud and it was so sad and it was so bad. And so again, like I said, like my sister's also deployed, right? So she's babysitting my nephew in um in Texas at the time when my sister's gone being deployed in Iraq as well. And now I'm sick with cancer. We don't know what's going to be happening. It was just horrible. But we ended the call with her telling me that she's leaving everything, everything in Texas. She's leaving her job, her friends, the house, her career, everything, leaving it all. And she's going to come be with me in a hospital. She left everything. Wow. Her whole entire life. Yes. Her whole entire life to come be with me in the hospital. And she didn't know if she would have a place to sleep or if they would have a place to sleep, food to eat, a job, where did, you know, where were they going to be at, you know, together, all three of us in this hospital bed, she had no idea. So <clears throat> that was amazing. Having that support from somebody that loves you, that knows you, who's going to be there for you. And like, you're really going to go through it together because cancer is a super, super isolating disease, you know, and having her there was just really a very, very big um, pivotal moment for me because I was definitely depressed and I was lost and it was just really hard. But, you know, after I, I tell her everything was going to happen, we end with that. She's going to come, come take care of me, be with me. I then get to Walter Reed Medical Center, which is at the time it's located at D.C., and they tell me I have to get a new biopsy done and a bone marrow biopsy. And I remember thinking like, why the hell do I need to do this? You know, like, and they explained to me, those cells that we have, they're dead, they're old. We need new cells so we can make sure that this is the type of cancer you have. And I'm like, okay, like, all right, whatever. You know, I have a nerve sheet tumor. I don't know what else you need. So we do new biopsy. And instead of it coming back as a nerve sheath tumor, it comes back as Ewing sarcoma cancer. And I remember thinking, are you serious? Because where's that spread to you? You know, mm -hmm. your lungs, your spinal cord, and your brainstem. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. That's it. Like, I'm dead. I'm dead. And that's it. That's my whole entire life just went flashing by my eyes. You know, I'm crying constantly. I'm depressed. I just, I just, I don't think I'm going to make it. The doctors give me a year to live. They tell me really? that, yes, they said it was terminal cancer. They said, if I made it for, for some reason, I made it past a year that I would not guarantee make it past five years. That was 13 years ago. Wow. Yes. Yay. Mm -hmm. <sighs> wow. That is yeah. crazy. It was so crazy to like, think you're gonna die and you don't know when right it's not like a car accident i'm not saying car accidents are better but those are seem to be pretty fast right compared to cancer like i'm watching myself wither away my mom is watching me my mom mm -hmm. has to watch me die like mm -hmm. how wow. horrible is that you know mm -hmm. it was just it was just so unfair so unfair but because of her because I had such a strong support system like this lady was the backbone of everything so when they gave gave me the news I'm you know dying this is going to be my you know my future this is what's happening they were constantly always in my room um 
and I was like a science project basically. And I, I remember I signed up for some sort of paperwork to for them to study me because I'd never seen a case of Ewing sarcoma before. It's they just they never had it before. They've only seen it in medical books. And so they were treating me as such according to statistics. So they really just preparing me to pass away, making sure my my affairs were in order, that it, in the event that I die, which was probably soon, that everything was gonna be going to the right people. Jeez. I know. And I was 24, you know, and I'm just I know. That's a baby. Yeah. How is this happening to me? And <clears throat> again, I was just really depressed. And my mom, you know, she's watching my whole personality, my the whole person I was just like being slated off, just like I'm not there. Blank stare, just, you know, zombied out. Like I just couldn't understand what was happening. And so at this point, she decides to do some like really creative, like motivational stuff, right? So she decides that she's going to create a sign that says, do not enter unless you're feeding her, taking her vitals or giving her medication. And so what that did was that stopped all of the negativity and the banter that we didn't want to have in our little, you know, our little room. And I remember when she did that, she like sat me or I sat down in the bed, she sat down in the bed and she said to me, She's like, I know that the doctors don't think you're going to make it. I understand that. And she says, I believe in you. And she's like, there are miracles every single day. Why can't you be one of them? I was like, wow. If my mom believes in me, my mom, you know, she knows me. She birthed me. She, you know, she knows my heart, my will, my power, what we've been through all the trauma we've been through and I was like if she thinks that I can make it you know I think I should I should try a little harder you know like I think I could do it too and as soon as I bought into that narrative versus I'm gonna die and you know I'm not gonna see the age of 30 things changed quickly I started responding to the treatment faster my tumor started shrinking my outlook on life drastically changed from being like just so depressed to like, you know what, this is going to be a horrific experience. Like this is going to be fucking tough. But after this life is going to be so much easier. Like I'm going to get over this. Life is going to be better. Things are going to work out. And then we started like, like daydreaming about like these really outrageous things. And then it was outrageous. Now it's like they've come to pass, but we started thinking about publishing a book and how I'm going to share my story across the globe and how I'm going to be a miracle, how I'm going to like do all these great things to be a cancer advocate. Like we like lived in this daydream, this fake world so strongly that it manifested like years later, like it took time to unfold and all these things. But as I look back now, 13 years later, I'm like, wow, like my mom really saved my life, you know? And it doesn't have to be your mom. It could be anybody. As long as there's somebody in your corner believes in you and knows that you have more strength to push and to to give, like there's Mm. so much that can be accomplished. And I owe my life to her really. It's like your mom sounds like she has like a growth mindset versus fixed mindset, right? I'm sure you, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and I mean, that was that would have been you would do the same for your children right you'd be like come on we need to do this how and how do we visualize this so that you don't stay stuck in this moment because if you do exactly you, you will die so you will you just won't. Yeah. 
right? Like let's create a life, whether or not it's true, whether or not it's a dream, let's mm-hmm. do that and get mm-hmm. the focus on how, how the gift. fuck do I get out of here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Seriously. Yeah. What a gift. So... What a gift. Yeah. So it's so true though. Like, you know, I was talking to my best friend, we were just talking about like being a mom and your kids like tech calling you, texting you. And the end of it all, we both just said, they need that person, whether it's me, but th- that person who's always going to answer the phone, who's always going to say, let's fucking go, let's do this. You've got this. And it's a gift at the end of the day. Like it's a gift. Thank it really God is for her. Yeah. Thank I'd love to meet I your mom. <laughs> she's, the, she's, the, she's the best. She's the best. She's the uh, best. I already she know is. she's the best. She's, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm grateful for her yeah wow <laughs> right mm-hmm. she she made it happen you know she really did she sounds like she's like this strong person anyways like even when you talked about her in the beginning it was like yeah we were struggling but it never sounded to me like your mom laid down and let it happen it was yeah just like, that's true no we're gonna keep going we're gonna keep trucking away we'll figure it out right yeah and that's that's like if you believe you'll figure it out you will if you believe exactly. you won't you won't exactly exactly and she was always big even before back in the day she was always really big with like your words have power right like Mm -hmm. the law of attraction stuff she was so big into that and then years later like we find out about law of attraction there's science behind of your thoughts and they can be measured and all that stuff but she had taught us from a very young age like it's really important to you know speak kindly to yourself and well of yourself you know if you want good things to happen like you need to be speaking that so that happens so she was like really drilling it into my head in 2009 like if you want these things to happen we together as a team we need to start manifesting this and creating this and visualizing this and like really you know thinking and daydreaming that this is going to happen and we it it literally all of it happened we yeah. made it happen. Tell us about your book. Yeah, tell us about the book. Yeah. So the book originally started out as a journal. So as I said earlier, they didn't think I was going to live. <clears throat> so I uh, had a journal and it was at the time dedicated to my nephew. So my nephew was two. He was a really young baby. And I was really upset that I was going to leave this earth very early and not know him, not have anything type of relationship with him I mean two years old does anybody remember anything at two probably not like a big part of us don't so I was like I need to leave something so he knows like it wasn't my fault that I left you you know I didn't want to go and I wanted to leave something so he would have and be like you know I had this aunt Brandy she left this journal for me and so what the journal was is like it just captured what we were doing what he was doing what was going on and giving him advice about things and you know I, I, like saying like I, I can't wait I'm sorry I missed your soccer game his first soccer game because we were really big into sports and now years later he's great at it but you know just dedications to him and and you know just things that we were doing and I really wanted to capture that what's your nephew's name is that okay yeah his name is Donovan Donovan okay mm-hmm Go okay, ahead. so you're leaving all this advice, journal to him, all yeah. these things to say, mm-hmm. like, here, here's who I was. I'm dying. Here's who I was. I, this is how I want to be remembered, right? Exactly, exactly. So leave creating the journal. And about three months into it, I've 
kind of feel like, you know, I'm not going to die. Like I got to hang in this, the, you know, whole chemotherapy thing and, you know, cancer stuff. So I was like, okay. So I said, you know what, if I get to live, I'm going to change this journal to a book somehow. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make that happen, but that's going to be one of our goals. And so that's one of the things that my mom and I were talking about, like this journal is going to, you know, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, and we're going to make it a book. It's going to number one seller, all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after I get out of the military in 2013, I have this journal and I'm like, okay, like I need to find some sort of program, some school or something that's going to help craft a book. Like, how do I do that? You know, like, I don't, I don't know any authors. I'm not a writer myself. Like, how do I do this stuff? So I joined this program called Savannah College of Art and Design. And I, at the time I was like spamming out applications. I was applying to every school I can think of because I didn't know, you know, I needed the next place I was going to go after I got out of the military. So whoever said yes first was where I was going. And for some reason, I get accepted into SCAD. It's called Savannah College of Art and Design. And it's a really prestigious, like, um, art school. I had no clue about how good this school was. I had no idea at all. Like, literally, I did not know. And then, you know, I get to the school and I'm just like, oh, wow, like, this is like, what? (laughs) How did this happen? Like, okay, God, whatever. I'm just going to, you know, follow along whatever, whatever I'm supposed to do. So every assignment that I had, I used my journal. And so it'd be about, you know, like write about a hard time or whatever it was, whatever the assignment was, I always picked pieces from this journal. And by the end of it, I had this big fat, you know, portfolio full of, of essays and like poems or whatever the assignments were. And so I condensed it down into a thesis, used that as my thesis, had my thesis committee review it, go over it. Everyone on my committee loved it. There was four of them. They're like, Brandy, this was amazing. This was so good. Oh my God, it was so detailed. And we, we, we you know, we, we wanted to know what was going on with the, with the, with the main person and, you know, the character. We knew that you're alive, but the book had us hooked. I'm like, cool, that's great. You know, and they're like, but you got to finish it. And I'm thinking, it's done. Like <laughs> that book is finished, you know? Like, how do you finish a book? finish something when you're like not even there anymore like I'm not in the same space so I didn't never quote unquote finished it how they wanted me to but I ended up publishing it but it originally started started out as a like a dedication journal for my nephew wow crazy right it's so it's so so crazy crazy. how you know whatever god the universe whatever you believe in kind of shows up for you and says like all right well here we go started Here's this so song. now yeah. we're gonna that's incredible amazing what, and what's your book called uh the book is called the enemy inside me mm-hmm. and I wanted to play off on some words right I'm like I went to Iraq to fight a war right to leave war early to fight an enemy or a war inside of myself and I remember right. I just kept thinking at like mulling it over, like, what is this going to be called? I'm like the enemy inside me. Yeah, <laughs> That's perfect. what it's called. It's a, it's a right? good one, right? Yeah. It's so and I was bad. like, boom. That's perfect. Oh yeah. So good. So, and I was the same as you, like uh, I had thyroid cancer, big, huge lump in my neck, just like, man, it's fine. It's nothing. It's like not cancer. And everyone's like, Lauren, you have to get that fucking looked at. And I'm like, I did. It's I'm going to take it out when I have time. It's, it'll be fine. And they're like, and then it ended up being like a 10 centimeter tumor 
uh yeah it was nuts it was crazy but I was the same like I don't have time it, this can't be cancer I'm like 34 years old are you kidding me like I don't have cancer look at right. me I'm tired right? but other than that I'm okay oh. yeah <laughs> and I just thought getting older you know same same thought process right but and that was the worst calling my mom to tell her mm. that was probably the worst part it was worse than calling my husband my husband was is a police officer and he was in court that day and he's Aww. like, I feel like I should. And I'm like, it's fine. It's not cancer. Don't worry about it. You're not coming with me. It's such a waste of a day. And then, and then it was <laughs> Shoot. crazy. Hey, it is so interesting how these, when you're so open to opportunity and things like that, how everything eventually turns out. Right. And I, yes. I believe that like, oh, I just have to think about it differently. Oh, I just have to move through this differently and, and trust that something better is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, I, and I've worked with a lot of people that ha- don't have the capacity to, yeah. to make those sorts of decisions whether it's generational or whatever, but they just are just like, that will never happen for me. I don't believe that. And, and they can't believe it. So having mm-hmm. the ability to, and I mean, you were put in some pretty tough st- situations prior to even this one, right? So you were mm-hmm. being prepared. For- I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And you know what? When I was deployed, <clears throat> I was in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. I had like a six pack, like I was, I was in shape because I was working out so much. After when I finally got on the treatment, after the treatment's all done and, and it's over with, I'm like hunched over. I have I'm ball headed. My skin is like a gray color. Like I am sick. I had 101 rounds of chemotherapy oh in 10 gosh. months. In 10 oh months, like gosh. that's unheard of. No, like nobody gets that much treatment. No I had shit. treatment for five days on, eight days off. Five days on, eight days off, and I continued that for 10 months. Like. By the time, because, and it's really hard, like chemotherapy is really hard on the body. So I think me being in really good shape, like really bought me a lot of time to, to beat that stuff because it was very hard. Mm -hmm. It was very hard. Crazy. Oh, wow. You have such a cool story. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. I'm, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm like sitting here going, oh, I'm glad I got to know this before anybody else. I don't know why. I know. Same here. This little honor of like, Oh, it is an honor. Yeah. And it's like goosebumps and it's such a good story. It's like amazing to meet you. We're lucky. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. It it is such a, it's such a great reminder for anyone who's going through something tough and being given something so, um, well, like death, be handed the death card and say, you know what? Good luck. You're done. <laughs> so, yeah. but, and like you said, the doctors all said this, you're, you won't make it through. And we know the power of self-talk. We talked about it on here before, right? Like everybody, it, yes, initially that diagnosis, if it's anything, right. And we know people in military first responder, you know, it's usually PTSD, OSI, like all sorts of those sorts of things, uh, uh, an invisible injury and mental injury. Right. And it's like, yeah, you're allowed to be upset and you're allowed to wallow in that pity. But when does this become the courage and the strength 
to decide mm -hmm. that this doesn't have to be your outcome. Exactly. Right? And I think exactly. you've, you put that through like quite significantly through this, this discussion of like, you know, there's so, there's so much more that you can do than just lay there and believe that yeah. this is the end for me. Right. Exactly. It is. And it was, and that's what mom kept saying, like, this is a chapter in the book, mm -hmm. not the entire book. Like there's, there's so much more to do, to experience, to have the people you will see, the things you'll try, like, you know, don't give up on yourself. And that's like something I would always, I've always now taken with me is like, don't ever give up on yourself. You know, there's miracles every day. Yeah. Why can't you be one every yeah. single day? every day and she was like I remember again in the hospital room she was just explaining you know different scenarios and she's like when you hear these like miracle stories you know those are stories of hope she's like why can't you be that why can't you do it and I'm like oh my god you know like dying in tears and crying like you're right mom you know like why can't I you know it starts with a choice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a fight right like you knew you had to fight harder than uh, ever before. And you've got to have that yes. in you to say, I got to be able to sustain this. I got to be, mm -hmm. but, but what, what's the outcome, what's the outcome either way, right? The mm -hmm. outcome exactly. is death or yeah, this life that fighting. we've created in this hospital room saying we're going to change people's lives with the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have anything to add? Um, do I have to add really again? It's just, you know, is I think it's really important that people as well as those individuals who have gone through, you know, trauma stuff, but I think it's important to also acknowledge those people who are like your caretakers or the, yes. you know, care providers or whatever you want to call them. Um, that they also get help after because like with my mom, she was, you know, she's going through all of this and she's doing everything. But as soon as the cancer was over, as soon as treatment was done, that's when she started to feel everything. Like she started getting depressed herself and she started oh, yeah. feeling not as strong. Like she had to put up this fake clown suit on to be this like superhero <laughs> that she really didn't want to be, you know, she, she couldn't feel anything. And then finally it's over and now she's starting to feel things. And I just, at first I couldn't understand what was wrong. I'm like, we made it. Like, I don't know why you're like, where's this coming from? Well, she didn't feel Burn anything out. for Burn 10 out. months, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like now she's feeling all of the feelings and she's going through all of the emotions. And now it's finally registering what was happening. So I think it's really important that we acknowledge them and they also get help. Nobody ever checks on them, asks them, That's how true. are you doing? You know, how yeah. are things going on with you? That's really important. So I just, if, if somebody is a caretaker, I think that they also need an outlet for them as well. The doctor also needs a doctor yeah, who is sure. looking after yeah. them. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with that too, because they're, that is exactly it, right? They're going through the thing with you and they're trying to be the strong person. And then, you know, for you to get mm -hmm. you to help you through it. And then when it's all said and done, it's like, who takes care of those people? Not nobody. And they, nobody. they typically don't take care of themselves, right? Because they think, well, it wasn't me. I didn't go through it. I was just a support. Who am I to ask for help? We yeah, all need help. That's... We all need help in some capacity. Exactly. In some form in 
some chapter of our life, right? We all, we're not able to do it alone. And like you said, without the support system, you wouldn't have been able to, right? Mm -hmm. So taking care of yourself and the people around you is tough. Mm -hmm. It really is. Well, thank you, Brandy, for sharing your story. Yeah, Yeah. uh, yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna get your book now. I'm yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got it written down here. I can't awesome. wait. Perfect. Awesome. Sweet. Okay, thank well, you. thank you again so much. Of course, thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at from uniforms to unicorns, uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. Also feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Love, Lauren and Sharon.